And I think that there's a confusion that like, oh, okay, conservatives are threat monitors because they want to avoid threat. No, they don't. They're monitoring no. for threat so that they can run at it and get it and take control and bring it down. So anytime you are exposing someone with that kind of psychological makeup to a threat, that's going to create arousal, not the like right. happy, like sexy kind, but emotional arousal, right? I mean, I do think Tucker Carlson gets a little aroused. Tifa, welcome to another episode of the Bituation Room podcast live stream coming to you back from my little dungeon of a stream. Uh, I'm back in LA, back in the podcast studio. It is Virgo season. I had my birthday. It was good. I can't believe I'm 29. <laughs> Don't Google it. It's wrong. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for pressing play on ye old iPhone and or Android when you pressed play on this podcast. Uh, thank you so much. We are back. I am back from Portland where we had a live show, which was so good. If you didn't listen to it, uh, go back and listen, go back and watch Eric Ward and Max Smith, like on any other show it would they would have been amazing guests, but they happen to be my amazing guests live in Portland and with like 130 people, wonderful, awesome people, Frantifa, Dragon Squad from the Damage Report, um, just comedy fans and politics fans, uh, you know, risking it all very safely to watch the show live. So that was so amazing. I feel like I don't need to socialize with anybody for the next I, nine months. Honestly, because my heart is full. My cup runneth over. But we're here on a Tuesday. I know it's a little weird where we're streaming today and next Tuesday, but we, we will be back. And I'll learn how to speak. No, but we'll be back on Sundays uh, on September 26th. So don't you worry. Your Sundays are still locked in. And if you're listening in the future, what are you doing? Just, uh, you know, brush your teeth and give the show five stars. We have a great show. Jesse Fernandez, comedian, writer, homie, and uh, co-worker from, co-worker, co-conspirator from Newsbroke of AJ Plus is here. We're talking about all the news with him. We're talking about 9-11. We're talking about COVID sniffing dogs. We're talking about the dress. You know which one. You know which one. No, not the orange and blue one. You know which one we're going to talk about, all right? And we're going to talk about a very important uh, dis uh, topic now, which is how to bring back your uh, crazy conspiracy theory relatives from the brink of the abyss, right? Uh, how many memes does it take? How can you counter with other memes? Um, do you, like, plant stuff in their couch you know and they just like find little clues and it's like q isn't real you know like maybe it's that uh but dr dana young is here we're going to talk to her about all that super excited also she's written a lot about comedy and politics and sort of 
the uh, split skis when it comes to whether you're a conservative or a, or, a, or a liberal or a progressive in terms of what you understand, what you like, what appeals to you. So I'm fascinated to hear her, her opinion on all that. But if you're here watching, guys, like this stream right now. If you're on Twitch, sup? Why don't you follow? Why don't you subscribe? Um, and once again, this show has no sponsors, okay? There's no, like, weird misshapen fruit company um, that wants to give me money yet, right? Uh, it is sponsored by you, the people. You guys are my dark money. I love you. Um, Patreon.com slash Room is where you can support this show Two bucks, five bucks a month. Uh, anything counts, but 10 bucks gets you a shout out on this show live. 20 bucks gets you special access to uh, a whole world of things. In three months, you'll get a piece of merch. You got the Frantifa shirt. We got the logo shirts. www.bituationroom.com is where you can buy a shirt if you don't want to wait. Um, but 20 bucks also gets you access to the AMA. And I just want to preview that we're going to be doing bonus content every single week for, for our patrons. So if you've been holding out now, that's okay. I get it. You got to see whether you like it. You know what I'm saying? Smell it out. But guess what? Smells good. Smells real good. And it will continue because we're going to have bonus content every single week. So you want to be a patron to listen to that content. Um, and we're starting that at the end of the month. So stay tuned to that. Uh, and without further ado, thanking all the wonderful people, thanking all those dark money givers. This is the fart song. All right. Thank you so much to all the patrons. But there is no $10 patron this week. So nobody gets a shout out. But we've got so many people on Twitch to thank. Nemo1870 Dragon, uh, Lieutenant Mac McG, Willie Gus, Trev Tennessee, uh, who all resubscribed. Uh, to Rob Dom, Serenity Now, a lot to talk about. Christian Theum, uh, Marty C59, uh, MZ, Aussie Plant Hermit, and Marshall Ghetto, and JPZ Rocks, who all subscribed for the first time. Thank you guys so much. And to the big tippers, we've got two this week, and they both happen to be Karens. Not only are they Karens, but they have the last name K. So thank you to Karen Keating, and thank you to Karen Kunz. Uh, you defy all Karens, okay? Nobody better mess or talk about a Karen ever again, okay? It's Susan's or whatever we decide in the chat, all right? I'm up for new suggestions, but it's not going to be Karen, all right? Maybe a, I don't know, a, a, a Laurel. Laurel doesn't sound, that sound like an annoying name? All right. Um, all right, you guys, let's get into it. Tell me what you're bitching about in the comments. Uh, and everyone, you know, in the ether, think about what you're bitching about. What's got your goat? What's gone under your skin this week? This is what are you bitching about? Okay, so by the time the podcast listeners hear this, we may be living under a Larry Elder regime in California. Uh, I will have... Um, been betrothed to uh, a farmer, probably, which could be tight. You never know. Uh, and uh, my eggs will have been extracted and frozen, which also could be tight because I don't have money to pay for that. The point is this. Um, <laughs> we may, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor here, may actually lose. He may actually win. The polls are showing that he looks pretty good. I don't know. 
the whole recall process in this stupid state is about as democratic as uh, a game of Red Rover. Okay. It's like, send Larry right over. And then that's the governor. Why not? That's pretty, that's how Schwarzenegger won because he's so mm, strong. Um, but I'm obviously bitching about that if it goes not in our favor. And if it goes in our favor, you know, like we need to change this process. But for now, I'm rooting for mediocrity, i.e. Gavin Newsom, over insanity, i.e. Larry Elder. Um, but more than that, I'm bitching about uh, it has been 20 years since 9-11. We're going to look at a uh, little bit at what our former president, George W. Bush, had to say about everything. But for me, it's a really important day because uh, I turned 18 the day before. So I became an adult, right? And I was in New York. I was in lower Manhattan. And then there was a giant plume of spoke. And I was running around all day trying to give blood and make sandwiches for hospital workers. And in two weeks, we were like headed to war. So my world very much turned upside down. I became very politicized through 9-11 and through the subsequent um, war on terror and the stripping of civil liberties and you know, all the things that were happening around us at the time and around me at the time. Um, 10 years ago, when I, when, when this happened, it was like a sort of a decade. I wrote like a very sincere think piece about how, what it meant to me and how I was becoming an anti-capitalist and, you know, and it, you know, that piece is actually pretty good, pretty well written. This year, 20 years later, I just drank like a spiked kombucha on a river and was like, yeah, I don't have the energy anymore to get mad about this, but I am. And I was going to do a live and I decided not to. But I, I do want to say that, you know, we've never actually healed from 9-11 because our anger and our pain were just immediately directed into revenge um, for nothing and trillions of dollars of taxpayer money um, that went to bombing, killing, occupying, torturing. And no one ever gave us the time and space to actually be sad and actually honor the people who died and actually look at how we got into this mess. Why do people hate us? It's not for the freedoms, people. We've seen that. Best onion headline ever. Al-Qaeda says that the U.S. needs to drastically improve its bridge, bridges and tunnels before it considers bombing them any further. thought that was like my favorite more or less that. Um, so I'm mad that still 20 years later, we don't have that proper space to mourn that is separate from a jingoistic, militaristic patriotism um, that is dangerous, that is violent, um, that we've seen the ramifications of today, that people have been radicalized because of these wars, because of the Islamophobia. Um, and not only that, but just a month, uh, weeks ago, a month ago, You've got the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And look, man, I knew it was wrong. I marched against the war in Afghanistan when we were going in. Never in my life could I have imagined it would have gone so poorly. You know, we can't even do the bad things right, right? And it's it's salt in the wounds on top of everything else. Um, and I will say one good thing that's been happening, right? A little bit more truth a little bit more uh, uh, of the veil lifted from the events of that day are that Biden is going to declassify a whole host of documents that were deemed too sensitive to declassify before now. And I think that's the right move, right? We know there's a lot of connections to the Saudi government that we didn't look in before. My answer is not to bomb the Saudi government. The answer is to not 
be best buds with another, uh, you know, another country that is actually doing harm in that region uh, and, you know, holding folks accountable for that. This is what the victims of 9-11 families and or vic uh, people who died are continuing to call for and continuing to ask for. So I think that's some progress. That's good. Um, but honestly, I just, I couldn't watch any news. I couldn't watch any media that day. And I know we need just, the only people I wanted to hear from that day were like, if you're a family member of a victim or if you're a victim of the war on terror, that's the only people. If you're a Muslim who was detained, that's all, and we need to seek those stories out. So I encourage everyone to do that. And maybe we can do more of that on this show as well. Um, to turn off cable news, you know, allow ourselves to find your own special, not special, but you know, extract your understanding of those events from that patriot, patriotic, blind, um, uh, you know, revenge-seeking militarism that we was shoved down our throats. Uh, and with that, just on that real fun note, I'm going to bring in my guest for the hour. I'm so excited to have him here. I've been meaning to have him for forever. Um, he teaches comedy at Google. That's right. He has written for the Discovery Channel, comedy for the Discovery Channel, uh, the funniest parts of your favorite TED Talks. You know, that's really what keeps you interested. Uh, the Wars with Friends game show, MSN, Starbucks, Hitachi, and was the head writer at one of the Internet's first great comedy website websites, E-Bombs World. He also has been featured in 10 SF Sketchfests, presented research at the International Society for Humor Studies Conference, and he's won the Speechless Improvised PowerPoint Competition. He was a writer and a producer for the award-winning news comedy show News Broke on AJ+, hosted by me. Please welcome Mr. Jesse Fernandez. Hey, hey, how's it going? What's up, Jesse? Hey, man, I am so happy to be on this podcast. I I, <laughs> I, I love it. I I love you, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I know it's been too long. It's mostly just, you know, Newsbroke was a labor of love. We are very busy, and I would always be, like, head down, working, working. But then every time I'd say something, Jesse would be, like, across across the way, sitting at his desk, and just like, yes, anding, yes, yeah, just yes, anding, whatever the hell was going on in my brain. And I really appreciated that. Most people did not do that. Yeah, so much So, fun. yeah, we had a lot of fun making news broke. Um, it may not come back, but it also might come back. You never know. Fingers crossed. It all depends. Fingers crossed. Everyone at AJ+. Plus. No, but let's get into it. Jesse, what are you bitching about today? Let me know. I have two. So... The first one is the Supreme Court letting the the abortion ban uh, stuff in Texas go. Like that is just that's ridiculous. Uh, yes. That's that's enraging. Um, yes. The other thing that I'm bitching about are, you know how the trash can uh, like lid on some trash cans has like a flap that is uh, spring loaded, you know, and it's it whips back after you put the trash in. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's my other one. That one's the that one's terrible. That is like the worst invent because you have to press the trash against the lid, <laughs> so all of the trash that's ever been in that can has touched and slid down that lid. It's disgusting. You mean like a public trash can? These are the ones yeah. like say trash, like or at like the McDonald's or at a, a fast food restaurants where it's like yes, we we yeah horrible. And then it's like it whips back. Like you have to like pull your hand back as fast as you can so that like you're disarming <laughs> a Indiana Jones like booby trap. Um, that that, that thing is. Mm. 
and reproductive rights being completely stripped away in Texas, but mostly the trash can. Well, I live in In fact, if you think about it, like the Supreme Court pretty much is the the trash can of the nation. Like it is the spring-loaded trash can. That's what I was going to say. Like one is a pretty good metaphor for the other. Um, (laughs) The, like it's, it's an easily solvable problem. Nobody solves it. Um, that's America. That's our Supreme Court. That's like all of it. You know that we've got a a, a spring loaded trash can flapped lid of a government system. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, let's get into the week because we got a lot to get to. Um, so much happened in this like couple weeks that we haven't done a show. But um, summarizing a few things. Um, Of course, Californians are awaiting the results of the election to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. And if he defeats this, he's taking us all to French laundry. Okay. (laughs) first and foremost, the unhoused people that he has not actually put in homes. Mm. He's taking them. Then he's dropping them off at their new apartments. That's happening. We're going to make sure that happens. Um, Biden does socialism by trying to keep us alive and mandating that federal employees get vaccinated and that employers with 100 or more employees mandate vaccines or test weekly. Uh, Only 300 people showed up to Michael Flynn and MyPillow, Mike Lindell's We the People rally in Texas because where we go, one, we go those of us who don't currently have COVID. Uh, (laughs) And Joe Manchin is now saying he won't vote for a $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, and he'll let us know what he will vote for just as soon as his check clears. Finally, U.S. hospitals are rationing health care because of capacity, which they say they're only used to doing when patients are unable to pay. (laughs) I dare you to defend capitalism after all of this. Uh, For everything else, this is The Week Where. This was the week where the nation commemorated 20 years since the attacks of 9-11 and former President George W. Bush continued to resuscitate his warmongering image thanks to uh, the 9-11 of presidents, Donald Trump. Bush spoke in an event commemorating uh, the the day in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the crash site of Flight 93 that was destined for the Capitol building. Who knew that 20 years later on January 6th, extremists would in fact successfully complete that attack? Uh, w spoke about the rise of domestic extremism in the United States. Very interesting. I want to play this for you. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Okay, um... Who's he talking about? So he said that they, there can be dangers and threats coming from inside. And everyone's lauding this as like, he's decrying what happened on January 6th. He's talking about white nationalism. He's talking about anti-government, you know, ideologies. And I had to listen to this, Jesse, like three different times to fully understand 
whether or not that's what he was talking about. Because say what you will about Bush, like he was still of the ilk of like flowery neoconservative like language, you know, and, and our like little brains are so used to like hearing Trump, you know, uh, say the same like 12 word, word cloud over and over again. <laughs> um, but he says... He says, you know, they have they don't have a lot in common ideologically, but they hate pluralism. I think he meant pluralism. <laughs> <laughs> pluralism. Oh, terrible. Pluralism. Um, that took him so long to get uh-huh. his mouth around to, you know, practicing that. But like and it's like I think he I think he is. Yes. In the end of the day, probably talking about, you know, some some extremism coming from the right. But it, like, honestly, I feel like if you're a Republican, you'd listen to that and you'd be like, yep, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so, okay. I want to play you a little bit more about, because he he doesn't know sort of where this came from, you know? Yeah. He was like, he was like, uh, you know, why is we has become divided nation? Can so I just here he, yeah. say real quick, like, what is the point of being vague about this? Like you're either against a thing or you're not. Why are you putting tea leaves out there? Like mm. that's cowardice. That's him going, he's never going to run again, but he's still like, no, I don't want Republicans to be mad at me. It's like, just say white supremacy is bad. How hard is that? No, totally. And it's also very strange because it's like, it's he's again, it's the playbook that neocons and neoliberals really pull from. Like, it's no wonder that so many outlets like love that he said this, but it was like, again, really, really coded and mm-hmm. not clear at all. And again, kind of the stuff that usually you get to say to kind of get away with everything. I and mean, that was sort of the like flowery language that we invaded yeah. two plus countries with. It's like um, uh, Republicans, you're supposed to dog whistle the bad things, not the good things. You know, like you're supposed <laughs> to be openly against the bad, you know, like he's accidentally right. using the dog whistle for the wrong thing. Totally. There's more, of course. So he's wondering why, how did we get like this? What's (laughs) happened to this nation? When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. Oh, no, no. We know you don't have either of those two things. Never been his thing. Yeah. Bro, like eight years, man. You know, Mm -hmm. the one thing I don't got is explanations or solutions. Uh, Yeah. But, uh the the clash of civilizations how do we get like this how do we become so divided jesse and uh that's the same guy who said this in 2001 2002 either you are with us or you are with the terrorists yep some real unifying language there yeah the entire world you're with us or against us. Maybe that's when we started to become a little bit divided. Either you're a terrorist or you're not a terrorist. Cool. Um, all right. Final, final thing that he said that I want to play for y'all. Um, 
he talks about like things were so good like oh my god actually actually see i know like you you might remember it different but like here's here's him gaslighting you about what actually happened after 9-11 how sweet everything was i am when religious bigotry might have flowed freely i saw americans reject prejudice and embrace people of muslim faith that is the nation i know we embraced the people of Muslim faith as we separated them and detained them. Mm. That's yeah. how we embraced them. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders, I saw America's reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That is the nation I know. Yeah, see, we took the outsiders and we put them on the inside of uh, planes that we then flew to black sites and mm. uh, tortured them. And uh, when American soldiers urinated on the Quran, yeah, that was a sign of respect in the Muslim faith. Like, that's that's what you do. Um, and, yeah, we God, we love refugees so much. We had, like, a special list for them. I don't know if you remember this. There was, like, a whole list just of Muslims and immigrants. And like we gave them enhanced screening, which enhanced just means like screening with love, mm. you know? Oh, yeah, totally. And water, <laughs> as much water as they could drink. Oh my God, do you know how hard it is to find water, the, like good water these days? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They get, we give them all the water. Mm -hmm. It's just so, it's so cruel. Like, who is he talking to? There are ostensibly survivors, or not survivors, but family members of people who were killed you know, uh, on that day in the audience, knowing full well that he's lying through his fucking face and yeah. they have to sit there and pretend like this is all good. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And like every every former president does that sort of um, legacy making where they're trying to like frame their history in the way that portrays them in the best possible light, light you know, um, but like, you know, the difference between Obama doing it, Obama's like, Hey, you know, uh, all those good things happening. Uh, I laid the foundations for that. Right. But Bush is like, <laughs> I wasn't so bad. <laughs> like just the way it's like, it betrays a little bit of honesty about what they actually know that they were like, you know, like, Oh yeah. But, but Bush is that that's his charm. You know, Trump has, they're both brutes. They're like, mm -hmm. so they're so brutish and, Bush, in another point of the speech, he's like, you know, a lot of people disagree about the policies we were doing after after 9-11. <laughs> and he's almost laughing, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like yeah. as if, you know, I feel like W ate so much popcorn to the withdrawal from Afghanistan being like, you know, I did that. Right. Like he's so he doesn't give a shit. This dude no. relishes in the Not chaos. Yeah, I mean, but good for him that, like, he hasn't aged a day. Like, he looks like the exact same peach-colored California raisin. So, like, awesome. Way to go, dude. He does kind of look like a golden raisin. Uh -huh. His face just looks Absolutely. like a yeah. He's got the, that... the exact contours. You look at a raisin and tell me that's not George W. Bush. <laughs> just like a blushing raisin. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. One, if you kill like a few people, you know, like it, it sort of you it haggards you, it really weathers your skin. Mm -hmm. But if you're responsible for like hundreds of thousands of deaths, it's like there's an incomparable glow. Totally. Yeah. I And people, if you want like revenge on Bush, like you don't like him, you want like a revenge fantasy, just buy some raisins and like look at those <laughs> and be like, yeah, George Bush. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> 
And then you get that. It feels good. It's cathartic. That's that's about as much accountability for the events after 9-11 that we'll ever get, mm-hmm. really, or the war crimes. Yeah, no, 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 not nothing to do with the Hague. But, man, you're going to chew the shit out of those golden raisins. Yeah, that's the worst <laughs> we can do to them. Oh, uh, it right, feels let's... bad being powerless on the left. <laughs> Indeed. We're gaining some power, and that has to do with my next story. Is this power? Yeah. Who knows? Let's talk about it. This was the week where Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to the Met Gala in New York City wearing a dress that said, tax the rich. I'm sure everyone's heard about this. Or if you're listening in the future, that was 12 years ago. Here she is wearing a beautiful dressing, tax the rich, and everyone, and I mean everyone, lost their minds over this photo, okay? Either you were like, yes, queen, she can do no wrong, or you were a Tucker Carlson, who's currently live shitting a brick right now, uh, (laughs) or you're, you know, Glenn Greenwald and part of the professional managerial contrarian class uh, who's wrote an entire substack about this. You know, oh, he's so mad. Paywall, paywall, paywall. Um, People on all sides uh, have a lot of opinions about this dress, and I want to get your thoughts. Um, More about the event and the dress. The dress was borrowed. It was created by a designer named Aurora James, who is a black immigrant and focuses on sustainability. And apparently, and I didn't know this, elected officials in New York are often invited to the Met Gala since it is a cultural event and a fundraiser. Uh, So she did not pay. Um, And apparently anyone can go to the Met Gala, which I'm like, Jesse, what are we doing next year? You know what I mean? Like, let's get this. Like, I'm thinking all the news broke crew stacked on top of one another in a giant trench coat. <laughs> I mean, that's basically yeah. what the in show the Kardashian outfit in exactly in the, in the Kardashian outfit that we're going to get to in a second. Um, obviously this is causing a lot of commotion. Uh, is it neoliberal virtue signaling? Is it the highest level of trolling um, of the wealthy at their own event? What do you think? Uh, I don't I don't think it's neoliberal neoliberal virtue signaling because it's like it is sending a message that is like the opposite of that. Right. I mean, taxing the wealthy, that's that's a good message to send. If she was only wearing that dress and then not trying to do anything to that effect, then like, okay, yeah, we could say that it's like merely a a surface level uh, thing. But like it's not, you know, I think that it goes in line with everything that she stands for and that she's trying to do. Um, right. and the people who are saying that, you know, that it's neoliberal are, uh, I don't know. They just, are, they're virtue signaling. I, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I had a lot of reactions when I first saw the photo. My first instinct was that's dope. My second mm. was she's going to get hammered on this from all sides. Yeah. Everyone's going to be mad about this. Um, uh, but my feeling is a, it is a little column A, like it is a little bit. It is shallow. It's a, you know, it's a, sure. it's a silly event yeah. and it, it is performative. It's 100% performative and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to have some things that are a little performative and especially kind of like talk about an inside job, dude. You, <laughs> this is like right where the rich live. There you are, you know, and you're saying it to their face. Like, yeah, the Kardashians are there. Rihanna, who's a billionaire, 
the Kardashians are obviously multi-billionaires, but like they're right there. These folks all, you know, whether or not you think they're self-made, no hate, but like they all need to be paying way more in taxes mm -hmm. than they do. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm a little, I was conflicted about this and I wrote something that I felt like was, you know, representative of, you know, my, like that it was, she really did a good job playing it. So I tweeted, you know, uh, hate the gala, not the gal well played AOC. And I got a response and I thought this was a really good way of putting it. I think this is also a designer who writes, she's, her name's Lindsay Ballant, shallow, superficial, cheap, you bet. We have to play this shit sometimes to make these ideas go more mainstream for better or, wor or for worse. I know for a fact that more design friends are going to send this to me than an episode from a socialist podcast or a news about a labor issue. Hey, Lindsay, what do you mean a socialist podcast? This, this podcast could definitely reach a lot of people. How dare you? No, but I thought that was kind of right on. It was basically like, look, this is a mainstream way to get to people. Um, and one piece of evidence of that is like, apparently, this is Google Trends. Tax the rich as a search term surged, right? Just in the yeah. same stupid way that like when Republicans repeat critical race theory a bazillion times, Google search terms for critical race theory just go through the roof, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a whole there's a reason that people send out these public messages, you know, it's not useless. It, it gets people thinking about stuff. It gets people to change minds sometimes. Like it's useful to send messages like that as surface level as they might seem. Right. Yeah. I think that there's a couple, you know, you know, sort of another aspect, um, which is how, I mean, I, I don't know. I think about, you know, what if this was JLo? What if this was JLo wearing that dress? people would love it and there would be no judgment because it's like oh j-lo doing something different oh my god j-lo yay j-lo yes but if it's a congresswoman it's very much like no how dare you and that's because it's either stay in your lane essentially and everything you're doing like stay in your lane stay you know uh uh like, like, don't, don't step out. Don't be bold. Right. And also like, uh, like how like, the only difference is that AOC is a celebrity, but she's actually working on these issues. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I'm trying to think about that. And look, if she only wore dresses, if that was her job, look, there is someone like that in Congress. We've talked about her many times. Her name is Marjorie Taylor green. And all she does is wear things and say things and meme things and fucking hold like non-press conference press conferences to push her non-political agenda that has no legs whatsoever. Like right. that's Marjorie Taylor. That's not what AOC does, no. right? That's not no. what she is doing. She sits on committees. She hasn't been stripped of them. She's currently trying to push through this reconciliation bill that she is part of the progressive caucus um, and their strategy to strong arm essentially a lot of the centrist Democrats and specifically getting Nancy Pelosi on their side, which they've done successfully. Now, we will see proof in the pudding as to whether they'll get that 3.5, uh, which, by the way, includes tax hikes on the on corporations, tax hikes on uh, estate taxes and tax cuts, uh, tax hikes on the super wealthy on sort of the top tier, um, which AOC has said openly that it should be like 70% for people who earn more than $10 million a year. 
Yeah. Many of those people are in, were in that gala. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and it's not about the dress. It's the people who like, say it's like tacky. The people who say like, whatever, whatever it's because they don't want to tax the wealthy. Like that's it. And they're looking for an excuse to, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there's like one or two people. uh, There are a few people who are like, yeah, it's, it's a fake message or something. But I think most people like they don't want to tax the wealthy, um, which is such a weird thing for, I get why the politicians would do it. Like their, their paychecks are signed. Right. But like regular people who don't want to tax the wealthy, that is like just such delusional stuff. Like the the wealth inequality right now is insane. And qualitatively it's worse too because at least in medieval times like you know peasant turd farmers weren't like well if i work hard maybe someday i'll be king but today people (laughs) think that (laughs) so it's worse of course now for sure for sure we have no illusions i mean i do think a lot of First of all, I think a lot of people do think they're going to be king one day or going to be a millionaire one day or they're going to be at the Met Gala with this. Yeah, exactly. But I I got the last thing I'll say on this and I could go on for a long time, but I do. um, I think that it is it can I understand how it can come across as annoying and just performative. But I also feel like on the left, we really need to push back against the idea that our, our ideas have to be fringe, that they can't actually be on a pretty dress, right? That they're only authentic if they are uttered sort of on podcasts and in the shadows or by, you know, only working people or people like, you know, who are um, who are just sort of right, but, but sidelined and correct, but on the margins, right? Mm-hmm. I think that She's a good messenger. Let's use her as a messenger. And the same thing was said when a lot of women from working class movements like Domestic Workers United walked on the red carpet with Oscar nominated actresses. A lot of people were like, no, they're sellouts. How dare you? Oh, my God. And it was part of the Time's Up movement. And I know there's some critiques of the Time's Up movement, but it was driven by working class women. And there was a great article written by this woman, Rinku Sen, who is one of the co-founders of this magazine, Color Lines. She wrote, she was like, look, sometimes the left, we get so obsessed with uh, with our own marginality. We don't understand when actually our ideas are hitting the mainstream. Now, wearing a dress doesn't mean making it happen. Those are very different things. But it is part of that cultural piece that moves the dial further. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. All right, one last story for you, Jesse, and then we will bring in our guest. This was the week where Miami International Airport implemented a new novel COVID testing tool, doggos. That's right, two dogs, Cobra and one Beta, are the good girl and boy who will be sniffing the faces of employees to see if they can detect COVID. Apparently, that actually works. Not only does it work, but the canine's accuracy rivals traditional coronavirus tests and even some lab equipment. He's, uh, this is the, I don't know who this is, someone who's studying basically the results. Furton cited a double bind study published by FIU, which found the animals achieved 96 to 99% accuracy rates for detecting the virus. One beta's accuracy rate was 98.1%, while Cobra's was an astonishing 99.4%. Do you mean to tell me we could have been rubbing noses with adorable (laughs) fluffy dogs instead of some random person in a hazmat suit shoving a pornographically sized Q-tip up my nose? 
like oh my God. is that like I feel like we're about to find out that like the cure to COVID is just pizza and orgasms. Who knew? You know, like <laughs> hey, maybe maybe the cure is it. You know, um, that's like a, dogs- a porn uh, a porn premise right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a porn sci fi premise that <laughs> then a bunch of anti vaxxers will absolutely try. If oh, you yeah. eat the pepperoni while you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> For some people, that's the same thing. You have to come uh, while drinking the hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine. You got to do both uh-huh. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise you get Touching sicker. Touching a horse and both of you injecting ivermectin at the same time. I just had this image <laughs> of like horses and humans just like all strung out on ivermectin. Like fucking <laughs> junkies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um one last bad joke uh as for the dogs apparently their next assignment is sniffing dudes dicks in nightclubs uh to stop the spread of yeast infections (laughs) that's right (laughs) very very important work all right um you guys we got to move on but before we do thank you so much for your comments and your super chats uh lizzie nepon on twitch is bitching about abortion laws uh obviously we need to keep doing that uh, and figure out how we can support the work that's going on in Texas. Um, Fonzu on Twitch, an entire generation of soldiers broken and exploited so the powerful can get richer is what they are bitching about. Likewise, my friend. On Bush, Reiki Dragon on YouTube. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to us, he burnt a bush. Maybe he could revive that platform? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary Cooper on YouTube, President Torture hates extremism now. Too late, George. 100%. Um <laughs> The thing that I didn't say that I wanted to say very briefly is that it is because of the extremism and the language that he used that we have that we had the Capitol riots, that we had the storming uh, of of January 6th. Right. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of those dudes were former military current and current. The Ashley Babbitt, who was murdered or killed that day, she was a former Air Force pilot, I believe. Like. Can we not have a little bit of introspection as to how the military, not always, but can absolutely indoctrinate people into further and further extremism, for sure violence, because that's what they're taught. Anyway, I digress. Uh, On AOC, uh, uh, Rochelle N.T., Damn it. Uh, Say yes to that dress. Tax the rich. Zombie skin care. She sent the message that matched her agenda in in office. Absolutely. And S.V. Harkin, she walked that dress into the lion's den. I agree. I mean, I I don't, I feel like if you're still mad about this, you might be a hater. (laughs) Um, All right, you guys, remember patreon.com slash bituation room. Or you can also tip the show, TBR Live on Venmo. Oh, TBR dash live on Venmo, TBR live on Cash App. If you don't mess with the Patreon, but I will very much encourage you to do so because, again, we got good stuff coming. Speaking of good stuff, we are talking about some of that extremism, some of the the ways that um, the minds of Americans have been turned to mush by not just, you know, lies from the powerful, decades of inequality, um, but, you know, random ass facebook posts and and uh fox news hosts um 
She's a professor of communication and political science at the University of Delaware, where she studies the content, audience, and effects of non-traditional political information. Hello, Zuckerberg. She's published over 40 academic articles and book chapters on the content, psychology, appeal, and effects of political information, satire, and misinformation. Her book, Irony and Outrage, examines satire and outrage as the logical extensions of the respective psychological profiles of liberals and conservatives. And her 2020 TED Talk, which I wonder if Jesse punched up, explaining how our psychology shapes our politics and how media exploit these relationships has been viewed over 1.8 million times. Her current book, Wrong, How Identity Fuels Misinformation and How to Fix How to Fix It is under development with JHU Press. Please welcome Dr. Dana Young. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Dana. Hey. Thank you for waiting in the wings. I, you know, I was was turned on to your work by NPR, um, even though I like to make fun of NPR. They do good work. Um, and no, but we I feel like you we need to hear from you every week. Okay. We need to go back and listen to your TED Talk all the time right now. Yeah, because I know. I know. you uh, have been studying a lot of this stuff uh, for a long, long time. Like the psychology of um, those who are tend to buy into conspiracy theories, conservatives, liberals, that divide that George W. Bush thinks he can heal. Um, what is it about right now? I mean, there's a lot going on, but that you think makes Americans more susceptible to some of the COVID conspiracies, some of the QAnon political conspiracies and all of that misinformation. Yeah, well, the key here really is that we are living in a moment that is steeped in uncertainty and threat. And if you look at the literature on what predicts when people are going to embrace conspiracy theories, when they're going to embrace false information that may even be demonstrably false, conditions of uncertainty and threat, that's like it. And so to be in a climate of COVID, when we've all been socially distanced from one another, you know, after months and months of not really even understanding exactly how this virus works, right, on the one hand. And on the other hand, this really toxic political environment that I, I don't look at citizens and blame citizens for the level of toxicity. I blame elites at the level of politicians and media elites and even the, the platform logics and economics of not just Facebook, everyone talks Facebook, but also even the cable news economic mm. mechanism there. Um, when you are already to figure out, okay, I am stressed out, I'm uncertain, I feel very threatened, what am I supposed to do about it? It is in those moments that you're looking to identify who to be angry at, who to be mad at. And a lot of these media sources provide exactly that. They tell you exactly <laughs> who to be mad at, and they'll make it up if they don't know for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a perfect storm of of every of everything that's happening, and it's it's manifested itself in, I think, the the vaccine hesitancy, right? That we only can we're just clawing and scraping to get to like sixty percent of the country vaccinated. Right. It's very very sad. Um, and I uh, one question people have asked me a lot um, for folks who either had family members who they were like, I think they might've been in the Capitol riots <laughs> or family members who are really hesitant about getting the vaccine. Um, you have a different approach than a lot of folks. I think it's really hard. Um, people have cut folks out of their lives. They've not made contact with their loved ones. If 
you know, because of their political leanings or because they've been sort of duped into some of these conspiracy theories, you've got like a more of a turn the other cheek, more of a handholding approach about being the bigger person and really trying to bridge the divide. Can you explain why that's your approach? With caveats, okay? Because let it be known that there are times when engaging with folks who believe in mis- and, dis- and disinformation and conspiracy theories also means in engaging with people who are saying things that are hateful and harmful, maybe to yeah. you, maybe to marginalized groups. So if you are not in a place where you feel like you have the emotional resources to give, like don't take this on. However, if you feel like you're in sort of a luxurious spot where, you know what, I have a little time, I have the energy, I have my emotional reserves, then coming at those people directly and oppositionally is not going to solve the problem. It's going to push them farther away. What we know is that belief in these, in in misinformation, especially conspiracy theories, a lot of times it's highest among those individuals who feel socially maligned. They feel like they can't trust people. So misanthropic individuals tend to be those who would embrace these. So if you are going to mock someone and tell them that they're stupid for believing, you know, like, oh, you and your tinfoil hat, you are simply confirming the meta narrative that has caused them to move Mm. in the direction of this information in the first place. What they need is connection and trust and trusting, loving relationships, which can be very trying, but that is the mechanism to get them back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, how do we do that on a large scale? That sounds, that sounds so hard. How many, how many Teddy grams you got to send? It's like, hi, my name is. When you say, how do you do this at scale? All of the work that I am doing and that other folks in political psychology and communication are doing, that's the big question, right? Like, how do you do this at scale? Because that is the problem. Facebook, digital technologies, they operate at scale. But guess what? At scale, it's just individual people. So if we as individual human beings decide that in our daily interactions, we are just going to abide by some of these approaches that have empathy at their center, if you add that up, that is at scale. Like we are the scale. We're people mm-hmm. and you add lots of people together and that becomes a movement or a collective. So, you know, just thinking big and thinking big starts with thinking about what you have agency to do, just yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you have mm-hmm. any plans for like how to convince people to uh, adopt this this mentality about it? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people on Twitter who, you know, they got that nice one-liner and they don't want to have to put that back in their pocket, you know? Yeah, that's it. I mean, the um, <laughs> my, my friend Jen Murchia, who is a professor at Texas A&M, talks about the outrage culture, that it's not mm-hmm. just outrage programming, but that the culture and the, the, the socialization in social media The norm is outrage. And so we're incentivized to say things. And I do it all the time. I will stop myself. I delete things because I'm like, I'm doing it. I am doing the thing. I am putting out toxicity. Um, So in terms of what my approach is to try to stop it, I think that the more people understand that mis- and disinformation this is like a whole other layer of conversation, but the mis- and disinformation problem, I will tell you right now, will never be solved on the side of taking down 
accounts, content moderation, Facebook blocking people. That is not what's going to solve the problem alone. Mm -hmm. What's going to solve mm -hmm. the problem is a reduction in demand for false information, which is a whole different ballgame. So where does the demand come mm -hmm. from? Well, the demand itself is cultivated by some of these psychological needs. These psychological needs are themselves activated by that toxicity. So if we start to think about the role that we play in exacerbating other people's needs for bullshit, all of a sudden mm. it's like, oh, okay. So everything I put out there could contribute to that climate. Every single thing. It's really interesting. I was at the uh, California Republican convention in the year 2016 uh, before it all went to shit. Uh, no, and there were counter protesters protesting Trump and I was inside covering it for Newsbroke and the Republicans loved that there were counter protesters. It's like they were a person. It's like they constructed their whole identity because there were protesters out there and they were so excited. They wanted to like ogle and, you know, rubberneck and get a little view at these protesters. And it's like, it, that is like a, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a distillation of our politics is like, well, if you're mad about it, then I think I'm doing the right thing. At least a, a lot of conservative ideology not that I have a bias, but I totally do. No, but but you're absolutely right. And and so when we talk about the psychological asymmetry mm. across liberals and conservatives, liberals and conservatives are not just different on how they think about policy. Part of the explanation for why people are, especially socially and culturally conservative, has to do with how they orient towards threats in their environment. And mm -hmm. Just, it, they are more likely to be monitoring for threats, more likely to be vigilant. This creates all kinds of cognitive approaches to the world, like a need for closure and certainty and structure and order and all of these things. It also is fascinating to me because just because conservatives are monitoring for threat doesn't mean they're trying to avoid the threat. And a, lo <laughs> it's, it, a lot of the social scientists who study this stuff are themselves probably liberal. I mean, that because that's what social scientists often are. And I think that there's a confusion that like, oh, okay, conservatives are threat monitors because they want to avoid threat. No, they don't. They're monitoring oh. for threat so that they can run at it and get it and take control and bring it down. So anytime you are exposing someone with that kind of psychological makeup to a threat, that's going to create arousal, not the like right. happy, like sexy kind but emotional arousal, right? Like, I mean, I, I do think Tucker yeah. Carlson gets yeah, I mean, a some little people. aroused. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, that is, about Black you know what? Matter. That is what we call in the business an empirical question. We <laughs> could look into that. <laughs> I will not uh, look into that. Tweet at Tucker no. Carlson. No, I, yeah. no, just tweet sweet things we have learned. Yep. Yes, yeah. We only when, look, it's we delete tweets when we feel like it was too harsh or we need a job, like in my case. Um, that's the only time I delete yeah. tweets. Um, but do okay, so when you're saying about an individual level, is, is that because you think that the 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 governmental level is not working or could not work? I mean, I think in the wake of January 6th, we're all now seeing the real world consequences of people who buy into conspiracy theories, whether that's there's a grand plan from a dark lord named Q or the election was stolen from Trump. Um, but 
it, the question mark is how to combat it. And I, you know, we've said that, I mean, I've said that I don't believe that there should be a new war on terror, right? Because that was an utter failure. Um, but also like, do you think there's anything the government can say or like a public service message announcement? Maybe it's a public service announcement with you being like, here's how to talk to your friends and family. Um, that, okay. I thought you were going to take that in a different direction. I was going to be like, danger, danger. I thought you were going to say, is there anything that the government should do to Mm -hmm. regulate mis and disinformation? And I will say, Hey, no, as we never, I know that it's tempting and you kind of want to be like, can't they fix that? We never want anyone in the reins of power to be in the position where they can be arbiter of truth. Right. Sure. That's just bad. It's just not good. We don't want that. They, they try real hard. I know. Yeah. We don't they want that. that we, we don't want that. But, yeah, I th- <laughs> but, but I think that the idea that um, I think that the more that people become aware of some of these dynamics, um, the more they'll recognize that every individual behavior feeds into it. And I'll tell you what, um, say what you will about Joe Biden. I think that Biden really does understand some of these dynamics and you know, he, he's, okay, so I'm a professor at the University of Delaware, go Blue mm-hmm. Hens, and I don't know if you know this about Blue Joe Biden, hens. but, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> keep but going, keep going. Biden is Fake also news. a Blue Hen, so he, you know, he's come to Delaware a lot, and he's given these great talks, and, and he is very sensitive to the idea that there are people who feel maligned, who feel left behind. And the mm. way to get them on board is not by calling them out and mocking them. And I think he understands that quite well. And that informs his discourse and his rhetoric. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, when you, we're sort of skirting around who feels disempowered and, and, and the answer I think is white people feel yes. like, you know, the, that they are somehow missing out because mm. the country is becoming more equal. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Let me just say that is again an empirical question. I have been shouting about this study because it's amazing. Um, Liliana Mason and her co-authors looked at through panel data to figure out who did Trump attract. The answer mm-hmm. is Trump attracted those groups that had resentment towards marginalized groups. Those were the individuals who were politically activated by yeah. Trump's rhetoric. We know this. This is not like a mm-hmm. shocker, but when you're able to to see it in the data, it's pretty jarring. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I mean, and he touched that third rail of the GOP we were talking about before that Bush sort of had under wraps, but like it was mm-hmm. a he, they were clearly openly Islamophobic and I mean, not openly, they were clearly Islamophobic and going after Muslims and immigrants and the other so-called mm-hmm. um but the language was different. Whereas Trump was like, no, 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 I'm going to swallow the dog whistle. And now I just talk and whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say um, with, with Biden, you know how like he uh, he'll say like my, my reasonable colleagues on the right, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, that's, that's good. Uh, as far as like what you're talking about, how like um, treating them with respect, making them feel heard um, that sort of thing. But I think on the left, what people get a little bit, um, uh, you know, careful about and scared of is that he's doing that so that, you know, he could do right-wing policies, you know, right. so that he can yeah. do things that we disagree with. Um, 
So another tricky balance to strike. Yeah, like at what point right. is the? At what point do you draw the line in the sand? At what point do you not want to come together and kumbaya with like insurrectionists? Mm. Yeah, I would say never. <laughs> not. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not a good thing. I was. I wanted to ask about your book about you know irony and outrage because I've had this theory and I haven't read your book, which is a sad, sad thing. Um, okay, especially- can I just say I've done a lot of interviews about my book. And I know yeah. most of them, many of them didn't read it. I think Ezra Klein actually did read it because he's Ezra Klein. Nice. But um, I don't think the rest of them did, but you're the first person to say it and you get points for that. For actually admitting that I haven't? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Oh, I didn't read it either. I didn't read it oh, either. Oh, yeah, Jesse. I didn't, I didn't read it. No, well, you can't. No. We'll have to share points. Um, but I but I love the title and I love it because we. I often talk about how I fundamentally don't think that the right understands irony that's the whole sarcasm book. you just it is the whole book, book. that's the oh, whole book. Great. except i actually did studies and <laughs> okay. confirmed it so it, and there's all fancy big words and stuff in some places but basically yeah conservatives are less likely to comprehend and appreciate ironic satire than liberals and it's explained through their psychological traits that i mentioned before mm-hmm. because they are efficient thinkers they operate through heuristics. They don't like thinking a lot. They don't like riddle solving. And now these things are actually useful traits if you're like in a war, maybe, mm. or going to fight a fire. Uh, when you're tr- when you're like encountering Stephen Colbert's show, The Colbert Report, back in the day, it meant you are definitely not going to understand his actual intention or what he's actually saying. Um mm. So, and, and on the other side, because it opened up a question, right? So what do conservatives then appreciate as their aesthetic form that is consistent with their psychological profile? And the answer is the most lucrative content among conservatives, which is political talk, political talk mm. radio, political mm-hmm. talk cable news, um, because it's threat-oriented, very clear, no riddles, no irony. It tells you exactly who to be mad at. And they're, they're not self-deprecating. They're like, I know the truth, right? Sure. Remember the no spin zone and all that? It's like moral authority on high signals like that guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, yeah. All of those things speak to that psychological profile. Dana, where can elder, I find your book? Our, our this is so governor. Yeah. You can I find am. it at your local, <laughs> I don't know, but um, Amazon sells it and Oxford mm. University Press also sells it. What's nice. it called again? I'm going to get Irony, this. This irony, so rage. Irony. Okay, cool. Thank you. Listen back to the podcast. I think it's really funny that you that you say that about like uh, that conservatives don't tend to understand irony or like sarcasm or those kinds of jokes and they're more efficient thinkers. But then there's my mom who isn't <laughs> a conservative. <laughs> who's not a conservative. Um, she's a, just a very much a bleeding heart liberal, but she absolutely has no idea what I'm saying 95% of the time. <laughs> okay, I'm going um, to email you these psychological <laughs> profile batteries because remember, it's not a one-to-one. It's not like if you have this psychological sure. trait, you're like this. I bet that she might have some of these traits that are yeah. responsible for some of these things. She, look, she she voted for George Bush the first. Okay. So there you go. There you go. She has a little few tendencies. Um, Danny Young, is there anything else you wanted to add about all um, yes. sort of Yes, turning the tide on all this. Um, you had said in an early email to me, mm. you said, mm, but 
Greg Gutfeld is actually be really successful right now on Fox. Like he's getting yes. really good ratings. How is that happening? Do you know how that's happening? Because dude is not ironic. That show is outrage. It is hyperbole. Mm. He overstates everything. It is the same thing as Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, except he laughs at his own jokes. That's why. Yeah. So, but that's even easier because when they laugh at their own jokes, then you know when it's your turn to laugh. And ha 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 ha, that right. was so funny. But also, the jokes are so bad. They're oh, just yeah. bad. Puns. You think they're bad because you're a liberal and you don't appreciate that they are hyperbolic, heightened, exaggeration based, ham handed punchlines. Okay, Dan. there's that. Yes, but I also, here's what I will push back on. The one thing, Dana, is that I find that people like Tucker and Greg Gutfeld, they use irony all the time, but their audience doesn't know that they're using it. So they uh, they couch everything in these really hypothetical, like, oh, well, by that logic, then wouldn't you say uh, that Hitler, well, I mean, did he really do anything wrong? I mean, actually, uh, you know, he was a good guy. Like, And they start to, they diverge, they're, they're making this point, but it's all couched in a giant, like, ironic statement that you're not even sure where, the, like, the subject is or the verb is. So, just, yeah, I you, mean, you know what I mean? They say that. They say they're being ironic. And by the way, conservative meme culture, they're like, it's ironic. If you look, when I say irony, I mean that the literal valence of what they're saying, the direction that the yeah. argument they're making is the opposite of what they intend you to take away. Sure. So when you mm -hmm. look at the stuff that they're doing on, whether it's Gutfeld or Carlson or these conservative memes, it's actually not irony. That the right. direction, the argument they're making explicitly- so in the same direction. Exactly, it's the same direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if mm -hmm. they ever tried to do a Colbert rapport, uh, except pretending to be liberal, but they're actually doing right-wing stuff, it would just bomb completely. Is that what you're saying? I, you know what? And I don't even think that it the has. people who would make, yeah, they've tried. The people that, we, who would make that would even understand the formulation to be able to create it. So I actually, I have a chapter in the book where I unpack each of the sides trying to dabble in the other's preferred aesthetic. One was mm -hmm. a really terrible show on Fox called the Half Hour News Hour that was supposed mm -hmm. to be satire. And the other is the Liberal Air America, which they also sucked at because they were bad at outrage. So, mm. voila. Right. I'm good at outrage, dude. If only I had a show. <laughs> Sirius better give me a damn show. I have, a, I have like a lot of thoughts on this, especially because I, I wonder, last, last question, final question. What about empathy? Part of wow. what I see in the, and what we've all seen in the last year, people freaking out, having public meltdowns, calling people racial epithets, you know, just like the hatred, the vitriol. Like, you're like, I think this person is incapable of empathy. And that is what I feel is the biggest difference between, meaning object permanence. There is a world that involves me and other people. You know what I mean? And, and, and just because yes. I don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. And what about the folks who I see on social media from the left who are perfect? No, <laughs> wrong. Who are like, you know what? Those idiots, good for them for dying. They, for not getting vaccinated. There is uh -huh. that empathy gap. There, it, mm. it, it, 
it gets, I know, I don't like it. It's not nice when I do that. <laughs> it, it, there are moments when it is missing uh, on the left as well. Yeah. Right? Because those yeah. are human beings. And thinking about, for example, you know, if you've got a mom and dad who now have four kids and both the mom and dad are, are deceased because they believed in missing disinformation, how much was that really their fault or how much should we be angry at the forces that cultivated that distrust in authority, you know, sure. things like that. So empathy, it's, it's layered. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Would you say there's an empathy gap though on one side or the other uh, proportionally bigger? Yeah. It, well, the, it gets realized in very different ways because conservatives are more likely to prioritize sort of loyalty to their group. Mm -hmm. It makes it such that they are better able to engage in empathy with the people who they identify with directly. Right. Whereas yeah. if, if you identify with multiple groups and you think of yourself as part of humankind, it's going to be more natural for you to put yourself in other people's shoes, even if they're nothing like you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, every conservative is, it's the same. It's like, yeah, I'm against gay rights. Oh, my daughter's gay. I believe in gay rights. Uh. Right. Um, anyway. Uh, we got to move on. We have one final segment, Dana. Hope you can stay with us. All right, guys, I'm introducing a new little game. Very simple, real simple. Um, everyone can play. Uh, it's called Would You or Wouldn't You? Conundrums that have vexed us for at least 48 hours. Um, would you or wouldn't you, Jesse and Dana, wear that dress to the Met Gala if you were AOC? Uh, I'll go first. Um, mm -hmm. If if I were AOC right now, yes. Mm -hmm. If I had been AOC for my entire life up to this point, uh, no, because it wasn't fit. I don't take that good of care of myself. <laughs> Meaning, if you just became AOC, like yeah, Jesse like, was AOC overnight, you'd be like, "Nah, I got. I need a few more. I need to work out and tone before I can fit into that thing." Right? Yeah. Like, I, oh crap! Now I have to wear AOC's dress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if a I if Friday I just situation <laughs> exactly. If I just became AOC, I'd be like, "Oh, cool, a new body to ruin." Uh, but I've <laughs> that ship has sailed uh, as far as mine goes. So <laughs> it really That's depends. Very funny. Um, okay. So yes, yes. And no weird answers. Uh, Dana, what about you? what do you think of that? Um, I, everyone's going to hate me. I would say no, I would say no, because I have different mechanisms. I have different vectors of influence as AOC. So I don't yeah. need to do that. I think that there, yeah. I think it could be distracting. Um, but if I look like AOC, I would wear that dress in my house. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I will. Okay. So I didn't read her entire defense of it, but I think it, it, it boiled down to women and especially women of color often police ourselves, uh, based on what we wear and what people will think of us. And I just decided to say, fuck it. And just, you know, wear what I wanted to wear and do what I wanted to do. And I think because of that, I would say no, because I am not that bold. You know what I mean? I think she takes a lot of guts to do not just wear a stupid dress, but do a lot of the things that she's done to run for office in the first place. Right. It's not easy to put yourself out there. I can't even like 
tweet stuff sometimes I want to tweet because I'm like, nah, I don't even want to deal with the bullshit. I don't want to deal with the backlash, right? So she said, nah, I'm going to deal with this backlash. Now, I would like to get to a place where I could do that. First of all, I when I did a whole anti-war demo in like February 15th, 2001, uh, three, excuse me, not one. Uh, in 2003, it was very fun because I like dressed up and I had like no war pants and I like drew like no war on this like dope jacket. And I like was all like glitzy and glam. So I like I understand that on the aesthetic level. The point is, I'm already AOC. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have the guts. I don't know if I would have the guts because I don't know if I could deal with all the backlash like she's been dealing with. Um, OK, less fun. This, but I really like this story. There are some doctors in Florida, which has been overwhelmed, right? Uh, hospitals and ICUs have been overwhelmed with cases uh, of, of people with COVID. And some doctors in Florida and Alabama are basically refusing to treat any unvaccinated person because they're saying, look, I need to look out for the people who took these precautions first. I'm not going to treat you if you're not back, if you're choosing not to take care of yourself because this bed could go to somebody else. We know there are people who've like been turned away from hospital beds because they there were none left and they had like a heart condition. Right. And they they died. Would you do that? Would you not treat them or would you or would you treat them? Would you do the same? I want to know what people want us, what people say in the chats, too. Dana, you can go first. Yeah. I So here's the deal. Like. At, when an individual is dying, mm -hmm. my understanding is that the doctor treats that individual as like, it's literal triage, right? It is, this yeah. is a human body that I need to get to the point where it survives this crisis. In the same way that like when they bring in, so a murder will have just happened, right? And the person who shot the other person then has a life-threatening injury and they themselves are like bleeding out, but they just shot somebody and maybe they yes. shot a cop. And they get yes. into the hospital and the doctor's like, um, yeah, I'm going to save this person's life because that's my job. Now, the question about what do you do when there's not enough hospital beds? I mean, that is a bigger problem. That's like a healthcare infrastructure problem. Um, but yeah, if I'm a doctor, I'm doing I'm I'm saving everybody. I'm pissed about it, but I'm doing it. OK, yeah. OK, that's good. You're a good person. That's uh, I, yeah. I'm I'm with Dan on this one. I think that when you're triaging who gets uh, healthcare, it shouldn't be a matter of like who's made better decisions in life or thinks a certain way. I think the only factor that should be involved is um, which person is wealthiest, and that's the only one. That's the mm. only factor. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they. That's what they usually do. Doctors do this all the time. I mean, this is what we were saying earlier. That like they're like, oh, we're used to turning people away, but not because we don't have any room. It's because they, they're poor. <laughs> um, I think I would. I think I would be that person. I'm also someone who would never probably become an MD. Uh, I just don't have I don't have that ability, I think, to to just see someone as a body that needs survival, right? I'd be so frustrated. I think doctors and nurses and hospital workers are at their wits end. They are just like, they're not being supported. And especially by their governors in these states, they're just, I mean, they're being hung out to dry. So I think I would under, I understand that. Like, I like these stories because I'm like, finally, someone's just being honest about like, can you make my job a little bit fucking easier because I'm, I'm I can't anymore. Um, so I totally understand that. 
Last question, would you, wouldn't you? Final question. This comes from our wonderful producer, Becca Roofer. There's a new show, new reality series called The Activist. Oh, my God. All right? Yeah. It's going to be, I think, on NBC mm-hmm. and, or CBS. And it, we've got Priyanka Chopra, Usher, and Julianne Hogue as the uh, judges. And six activists from around the world work to bring meaningful change to one of the three urgent universal causes, health, education, and the environment. The activists will complete missions in media stunts, digital campaigns, and community events aimed at garnering attention of the world's most powerful decision makers demanding action now. Would you watch this show? Oh my God, the world is ending. Why is this a thing? Oh, oh, you're- <laughs> Make you're, it a game have, show. Make it have, a game show. <laughs> we have three- uh, uh, fundraising opportunities. They all need it. It's all entirely dire. And two of them, sorry, no, you, you're, it's going to go to hell. Sorry. No, Ooh, nope. no, we can't stop <laughs> yeah. California mm, from you're burning. Starve. No. Yeah. I um, think it's wow, horrifying. Okay. <laughs> Did anyone here read, uh, amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman? Heard 1985, it. it's aged very well. Please read it because we live in Neil Post- Postman's world. We are amusing ourselves to death. Did you see there was a Twitter thread actually by a woman who was one of the finalists for that reality show? She is a young activist, climate activist, I think from the UK. And mm. she said the whole process was horrifying. So just <laughs> out of solidarity... <laughs> For her, with her, I'm like, I'm out. Nope. And I'm a yeah, reality like, show. Um, can you be more like Greta? Yeah. Could you like <laughs> braid your yeah. hair or something? It was that bad. Then we'll really care. No, I have no doubt that the process is disgusting. And I have no doubt that like all, you know, reality television shows and all the casting and all that and all the money that it's utter BS. I have no doubt that it is a waste of money. But I totally would watch something like this. And yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah. I do feel like, in the grand scheme of should we put more like, you know, bunny heads on Tori Spelling or whatever, and they can sing, you know, a song, like, and then guess who it is? Like, I feel like there's a lot of bad reality shows out there. I love The Circle, but it's bad. You know, it's a bad reality show. Like, this is at least, it's a way to little, you know, the medium is the message. AOC said it. Tax the rich in the in the Hollywood. <laughs> I thought you said I mean, AOC said the medium was the message. I was like, you gotta take <laughs> my class. Because <laughs> that is not true. The first person to ever say the medium is the message is AOC. No, that's what she said about her dress. <laughs> it's like I feel like I would I would definitely like that. I would, I don't know. Usher feels like a weird one to me. I don't know about Usher being the judge. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you guys. Thank you all for participating also in the chat. Um, I, let me I didn't see if there was any comments directly related to this. Uh, <laughs> fat guy named Tiny on Twitch says, you cannot pay me enough to watch that shit. Uh, one Casper Lee one says, commodification of activism. That's where capitalism is going. Capitalism yeah. is very resilient. How about commodification will- of all the things? Commodification yeah. of all the things. This is full circle. Commodification of socialism now is where we are. Totally. How come you can buy a shirt that says tax the rich? Huh? (laughs) That's capitalism right there. (laughs) Loaded my head. (laughs) Um, Dana Young, thank you so much. Everybody, please check out, uh, please check out her book, Irony and Outrage. 
Uh, and also stay tuned for the forthcoming book. Can't wait for it. Um, and how can people find your work? Oh, we go. There we go. Follow her on Twitter at Danigal. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. And you know what else? You know what I'm working on right now? I, uh, I'm creating a, a course for the great courses where you like subscribe and take classes. Oh, nice. And so my propaganda and persuasion class will be available on not just to University of Delaware Blue Hens, uh, but to everyone on the great courses. Yeah, to the cool. pink pigeons can also. <laughs> yes, I only don't know. the pink ones. Only the big one. Um, all right, Dana, take very good care. Thank you so much for being on and taking the Thank time. Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks. Totally. Thanks. Jesse Fernandez, my friend, where can people follow you? Uh, on Twitter, at Jesse Fernandez. Hit me Hell up there. Yeah. I tweet. I write jokes. It's good stuff. You, I'm, I'm, you are very funny and very good. And Jesse has always some of the best punchlines of Newsbroke videos and episodes. Always some of the most ridiculous ones where you're like, really? Like, just your brain works in mysterious ways. <laughs> and I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I think I think proportionally I have the grossest ones too a lot yes. of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you wrote a joke about... Um, about oh, what is that old old ass man from Fox News? The old commentator, um, who looks oh, like an old Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs, yeah, he looks like an old cherub. You were like, Lou Dobbs was just. <laughs> I think we he like we talked about him being like cut out out of former like AM radio hosts and then shimmied into a skin suit and then. <laughs> like lightning strikes uh, uh brought him back to life or something like that yeah oh, it was man. disgusting and hilarious that was some good world building right there that was some world building <laughs> lou dobbs is a zombie of other radio hosts then brought back to life and you were like and then he had to like paper over the lightning scars from what brought him back to life <laughs> fucking amazing that all was right a Jesse. long joke i'm surprised <laughs> it made it into the piece <laughs> I'm surprised I, yeah, I probably butchered it. Um, um, all right, no, Dana. no, you you killed it. Uh, you always kill it. I, yeah, you're amazing. In, incomparable. You're amazing. Take good care. We'll have you back. Thank you. See ya. All love, y'all. And thank you guys for being here on a Tuesday. You know, still good. <laughs> still good. Still real good. I'm going to see... Uh, Rigel Hoof on Twitch says conspiracies are like religion. They give people excuses for their failing. It's not my fault. It's God slash deep state has a plan. That's true. It's amazing how many, I feel like people probably do use God slash deep state interchangeably. Um, Shay on YouTube. I'm all ears for this. I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with my apparently conspiracy theory bestie. Ugh, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, kindly, sweetly, if they are your bestie, then I think that's something to invest in for sure. You got to invest in your bestie um, or cut them out, you know, like I do with people. <laughs> All right. Uh, and thank you for your super chats. Uh, Yilva, Desiree DeWitt, Undecided, Omega, Shenron Dragon, Carrie Venus. Yilva, you're here. What time is it in uh, Den Sweden, Denmark? Don't kill me. Uh, and for the new Twitch subs, oh my God, Daniel McConkey, Lizzie Nepon, and Thunderous Dragon, love y'all. Hey, make sure to get your uh, uh, Frantifa swag, bituationroom.com. I want to see everybody. Send me photos, you guys, and hashtag Frantifa because uh, I want to see how they fit. Do we need any new sizes? Do we need to make a new design? Uh, I spared no expense, like I've said. 
Uh, but thank you guys so much. Thank you to Becca Rufer, to Max Inhoff, to Ellie Hoffman, and to Alexandra Ornes. We are here every Sunday, 580 Eastern, except next week we'll be here Tuesday. We got a great discussion about actual essential workers. We're talking to uh, the director of the One Fair Wage campaign, talking about eliminating tipped wage work. I know it's controversial, but we're talking about all that. So if you've worked in as a server, let me know. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, so that's next Tuesday, uh, September 21st. And remember, guys, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye. <laughs>